Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to these Go to 11. Once again, my co-host, Greg Dutcher. Greg, say hello. Hello, and a quick caveat. Uh, I'm instantly depressed. Having talked to our special guest before we went live today, Nathan, um, I covered his voice, and now that's all I can think about. <laughs> that's it. That's it. And our special guest today, uh, someone that I've known for a number of years now, Greg Speck. Greg, say hello to everyone out there. Well, it is great to be on the program. Thank you for having me. And I am uh, sitting in beautiful, tropical Rockford, Illinois. <laughs> <laughs> yes, everybody's favorite tropical destination. That's right. Uh, never, never been out there. What's the, what's the temperature out there today? Uh, temperature today is uh, low 50s. Ooh, okay. And uh, evenings, it's gotten down into the 30s. So still a little chilly. Yes, yeah. yes. And what is it? What is it like out there in the summer, Greg? Uh, hot and humid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We can relate to that. Here. Yes. Um, yeah. So, Greg, just tell everyone out there a little bit about yourself, your family, and what you do, things like that. Thanks. Well, I was born and raised in uh, California. Uh, live now in Rockford and married to uh, my beautiful wife Bonnie. We have four children. Three are married, uh, three grandchildren, wow. and I spent uh, my whole life uh, working with teenagers. Started out as a caseworker, working with delinquent, emotionally disturbed teens, and then spent uh, 10 years as a youth pastor, and then after that, it's been all itinerant, traveling, speaking, and uh, have actually been able to go around the world uh, working with teenagers. I love it. And I'm so thankful that uh, God has allowed me to be a part of this ministry. Yeah. Wow, Greg. And you also uh, were telling us prior to uh, that you're on the speaking team of the Family Life Ministry. Is that right? Correct. With uh, Dennis Rainey. And they have the weekends that are called Weekends to Remember Marriage Conferences. So I speak for a number of those every year. That's great. And um, Greg, I actually um, have a couple stories. Now, I tried this last time and we had a glitch. So we're going to see if, uh, you know, through God's grace, I can get through it. Um, <laughs> it involves your son. Um, it was during one of the times we were overseas together. We were in Belgium and Justin and I were walking back from uh, one of the bathrooms and we get to camp and we notice this tall tree. It's this pole tree. And you know, Justin knew that I was into martial arts and crazy ninja stuff. So he just kind of looks at me. He's like, Hey, do you think you can uh, climb this thing? I was like, yeah, I probably could. You know, well, how, how high do you think you can get? I don't know, probably to the first branch. Now, keep in mind, the first branch is probably somewhere between 40 and 50 feet oh, off the sheesh. ground. And, um, you know, so Justin and I are looking at each other. Like, All right, well, who's going to do this first? And uh, so rock, paper, scissor, Justin goes first. He goes up, gets to the branch, comes down. Small crowd starts gathering around now. <laughs> So then, uh, you know, I'm like, well, I don't know if I really want to do this. You know, all these people are watching. Well, of course, the people hear this and start chanting, do it, do it, do it. So I go. I actually make it a little higher than he did. Come down. Well, another person from the team decides that they're going to do it. So they start climbing. Couldn't quite get it. Come down. And then a fourth person comes. Now, by this time, there's a large gathering of people around watching this. And so I remember this fourth person starts up and all of a sudden this big bear of a voice just comes through the crowd. Who started this? <laughs> and of course, Greg, you come walking up and without anyone missing a beat, everyone just turns to Justin and says, your son did. Yeah. <laughs> I just remember you turning around, shaking your head, not doing anything. Yeah. And at that point I just turned to Justin and said, I'm so glad you won going yeah. first. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Something tells oh, me, Greg, well, you, you, you've probably put that memory out of your head. haven't you? Yeah. Uh, it's so emotionally scarred me yeah. that I just blocked it now. Uh, but the other one um, was after, after that summer, some friends of mine uh, went on a mission trip with you and they asked you what, you know, your worst mistake ever was. And their exact words when they came back laughing were letting Justin and Nathan go on the same trip together. <laughs> so I, I always uh, found that to be rather humorous. Um, so, 
Now, Greg, you. Uh, you well, have, I'm uh, glad that both of you have turned out so well. Well, you know, at least Justin has. Yeah. It. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Greg, I should tell you now, this is actually an intervention for Nathan. And I'm, I'm calling on you for help. It, we, we needed the ruse of a podcast. That's right. We're, we're ready. No, he, he is doing very well. I can testify to that, Greg. Um, now, Greg, you have spent so much time um, in youth ministry. You've actually written two books. Um, and so one of them was Sex It's Worth Waiting For, and the other one um, was uh, living for Jesus when the spiritual high is over. Um, and we're actually going to focus on the second one today a little bit um, because we've, we've talked about this um, on this podcast in, in the past. So we want to discuss that a little bit with you um, as well as some trends in youth ministry. But, but talk about those books a little bit because we are going to actually give um, two of those away uh, after the podcast today. Sure. The uh, Living for Jesus After the Spiritual High uh, was a book that I wrote to address students who go on the missions trip, the camp, the conference, the retreat. They get all excited. They get all fired up. They come home. The feelings fade and their walk with Jesus suffers because of that. So I wanted to speak to them about the fact that feelings never last, feelings aren't supposed to last, but Jesus remains no matter how you feel, and what can you do to continue to stay close to him no matter how you feel? So that's kind of what motivated me to write that book. Yeah, and then the um, the sex it's worth waiting for. Um, obviously, hopefully the title's kind of self-explanatory, but um, talk about that one a little bit. Sure. It's just a call to students for purity and to talk to them about sex from God's perspective, that it is good, it is great, it is wonderful, it is awesome, it is beautiful, that only an amazing God could have thought of something as exciting as sex, but that it has a proper perspective. And that's within that marriage relationship. And there's a lot of good reasons why. And so I explore with these students just what God has to say about sex and sexuality and just some really good, positive reasons why we ought to wait to have sex. Amen. Yeah, that's great. And um, I actually uh, read both of those books. You recently rewrote them, correct? That is correct, yes. Uh, They're published by Moody Press, and uh, Moody had me do a rewrite on both of them just to keep them more updated. Okay. Um, And actually, kind of talking about updated, um, we want to get your perspective a little bit on um, students, because you have been involved in youth ministry for so long. Um, What are some things that you notice as far as trends? Like, you know, this, this call for you to rewrite these books. What are some things that you're noticing with teenagers today that that kind of prompted that response to rewriting them? Yeah, well, a couple of things. Uh, number one, the bad news. The bad news is that uh, students are involved in a much deeper sin at an earlier age. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So things that maybe uh, high school and college age were involved in, Now, middle school, fifth, sixth graders are involved in, and that sin tends to be um, uh, readily available to them, and they're uh, able to plug into that at a much earlier age, and it's really rocking them. Um, it's, It's killing them emotionally. It's killing them spiritually. In some cases, it is literally killing them physically. So uh, so that's the bad news. The good news is that in the midst of a lot of problems and dysfunction and families that are falling apart, uh, God is raising up teenagers who are radically committed to him, that are ready to follow him and serve him and love him and live for him. Um, people say to me, Greg, how can you work with teenagers? Don't they intimidate you? And I say, wow, if you saw teenagers the way I see teenagers, you wouldn't want to work with anybody else because 
really are wonderful individuals, and God is doing a mighty work in this generation of students. Wow, that's great. Wow, Craig, I uh, was going to ask you here, uh, prior to us going on uh, the podcast tonight, you had mentioned to me, do I have the year right that you actually started working with youth in 1973? Correct, yes. Wow, so you've been at it for 42 years, and uh, you know most people I talk to that maybe raise their own kids through the teenage years, you know, they look back at a maybe an eight or a ten or multiple kids a fifteen year period, and are thrilled to be done with it. Uh, which you know <laughs> might not be the most commendable attitude, but it's a uh, common one that I find. I'm just curious what what unpack for me a little bit more. You obviously have a tremendous staying power. Uh, which I know you would not give credit uh, to yourself for, obviously. Uh, obviously, that's from God. But just what is it about working with youth when many people could say, wow, Greg, your kids are grown. You know, you've got three of them married off. Uh, let somebody else do that. What, what keeps you in the game uh, so regularly? Yeah, I, I love working with teenagers because they are so teachable, that they, um, they are open to truth that they will not uh, always readily accept exactly what you say, but if they sense that you love them, that you care about them, that you want the best for them, uh, they'll be so open to you. And students that appear so hard on the outside in how they dress and they look and they cut their hair and all that stuff, When you begin to get to know them and spend some time with them and reach out to them, they are so responsive to that. They are so open to being cared about. And students today are open to the truth and to the reality of Jesus Christ because they have tried it all and none of it has truly satisfied. And what they have been looking for and not really realized it is that personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So uh, I really have the privilege of being able to share that with them, introduce them to that. And I really feel like this is what I'm gifted to do, that, yeah, yeah. that for whatever reason, God just gives me favor in the eyes of teenagers, wow. that that I'm able to stand up in front of a group and speak to them. And because of God and because his favor, they just tend to respond in a positive way. Yeah, that's so timely uh, for us right now, Greg, because we're actually uh, still looking for a, a new pastor in our church of youth and family life. And uh, that's, I would say, the number one thing we're looking for. I mean, obviously, you know, a, a person of sound doctrine that would, you know, connect with our church's vision and convictions. Uh, that's almost the given. You know, we, we, we want to deal with that stuff because it's important. You don't want uh, an 11th hour surprise, you know, sort of poking its head up at, you know, halfway into the first year of the guy's stay here. But what we're most interested in is to hear, is this guy passionate? Yeah. And it sounds to me great. When I hear, when Nathan first told me about you, I said, oh, so this guy worked with teens, what, several years ago? No, 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 he's still, he's still speaking <laughs> and connecting to teens. And I said, wow, because I, I, I can tell you, Greg, I'm 44, and um, I have, uh, well, two teens. One's 12, so an almost teen. And my daughter is 16, myself. I love them. I've been sort of the interim high school youth guy here the last year as we've been uh, searching to fill this spot. And I do love them. I can say, after working with them for a full year, I am just so excited about bringing a guy in here who it is his passion, yeah. his sole sure. passion, um, because I love it. I don't think it probably is my passion. And I go home. Here I am at 44 on a Sunday night, and I am so tired because uh, <laughs> they are fun, and they like to play hard and you know goof around hard. And I go home, and I, my wife just laughs. She doesn't even try to watch a show with me on Sunday night. Because she knows I'm yeah. just going to fall asleep, you know, in, in two minutes uh, after a busy Sunday night with the teens here. But the the passion you have, uh, honestly, I think 1973, just to, I was three. Nathan, you were not even a twinkle no. in your daddy's eye at no. that point, probably. And, uh, Greg, I know you don't want to be buttered up. I just want to say I really am. I'm praising God when I think of the staying power he's given you to, to stay in the game uh, this long, and I love what you said, and I bet a number of 
parents that listen in say, can I have him come talk to my kids? <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and well, and you know, I, I, I really credit that to God. And there are not many guys out there my age that God is still al- allowing to be involved in the lives of students. So yeah. I really take that as a privilege and a gift from him. And I don't take that lightly. And I'm excited that I can uh, still be a part of their lives. Wow. Wow. And in, in, in terms, Greg, of uh, culture, I mean, I imagine you've seen so much change since you've been so uh, immersed in this ministry for decades now. Uh, I'm just curious, in what ways have you seen, you know, uh, uh, technology? Uh, my kids all the time, when they realized that I lived in a world as a young man with no cell phones and no iPads or no email or text messaging, they, they can't even fathom a world like that. Um, right. And I'm just curious, in terms of when, when you talked about sin so easily accessible today than it was years ago, I imagine is some of what you're thinking about related to technology and uh, pornography or bad company or bad ideas available at their fingertips? Yeah, absolutely. That uh, pornography today, I think, is one of the greatest sources of evil in the world. Yeah. That it uh, it feeds the sex slave business, yeah. and it is an emotional and spiritual killer to us. It becomes addictive, and I say to parents, teenagers do not have to look for pornography. Pornography will find them. Yeah. yeah. That um that it is so readily accessible, so easy to get to. And then add to that, you know, sexting and uh, Mm -hmm. students who participate in that, either with words or with pictures. And then you've got Snapchat, where where supposedly you can post a picture, it'll only last a moment, and then it's gone. Well, but yeah, but because we're technologically savvy, we know how to get around that now. We know how to take some screen pictures and things like that and save stuff. And so, you know, we continue to feed uh, our lust. We continue to feed this sin, and it just sucks us down into some really dark places. So today, teenagers are technologically savvy, but in many cases, they're emotionally disconnected, that they're, uh, they're struggling, that there's a lot of pain in their lives, and they don't really have individuals that they feel like really care about them, will listen to them, that they can really share with. Um, there are certain things I can say in front of a crowd, and the crowd will just go deathly quiet. And it'll go so quiet because so many students will be able to identify with what I'm saying. Yeah. So I'll stand up in front of the teenagers and I'll say, I hear these three things from teens. You tell me if you can identify. Wow. Teenagers today tell me they're stressed, they're depressed. And they're afraid. And the crowd just goes dead quiet because, yeah, they're right there. They totally get that. They totally understand that. That's where they are. They're stressed. They're depressed. And they're afraid. Yeah. Now, Greg, let me ask you with um, uh, obviously in terms of dealing with students, you also deal with parents and you, you want to help parents and and children connect with one another, what are some things that you tell to the parents to help them connect with their teen and, you know, to help to deliver them from what's going on in their life, whether it's pornography or drugs or depression? Um, How do you counsel parents in that? Yeah, well, a few things I would say to them. Um, You know, I would remind them that rules without relationship leads to rebellion. So for you to just come in and say it's my way or the highway is really not going to cut it. And especially for you who are step parents, I just want to remind you that you have no inherent authority at all in that situation. And if you hear a child say to you, you're not my father or you're not my mother, don't get mad at that. 
That's reality. That is the truth. So I say to parents, how can we effectively minister to our teenagers if we do not know their hearts? And how can we possibly know their hearts unless we spend time with them and we listen to them? And that's how teenagers a lot of times spell love. They spell it T-I-M-E in a willingness to be with me, to engage me in my world, to spend time with me. So I remind parents that teenagers are nocturnal beings, (laughs) that uh, if teenagers could, they would stay up all night (laughs) and they would sleep all day. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Teenagers are vampires. (laughs) So, So I say to parents, that's brutal when you have to get up at five o'clock in the morning Mm -hmm. or earlier, but you have got to strike while the iron's hot. Meaning if your young person wants to talk late at night, you need to take advantage of those times. You need to ask leading questions and you need to just listen to them. Do not try to fix it. Just listen to them. And uh, your teenager tends to be an emotional communicator. You know, you have two types of communicators in your home. you got emotional communicator and cognitive communicator. Emotional communicator, they want to deal with feelings. How do you feel? How do I feel? How do we feel? Cognitive communicators, they want to deal with the facts. What's the time? What's the temperature? What's the score? How much (laughs) does it cost? Don't tell me a story. I don't need a story. Just get to the point. What's the point? Well, the problem is that as parents... Our teenagers tend to be emotional communicators, and we respond to them cognitively because we're trying to fix it. We're trying to help them to grow. We're trying to speak life into them. That's fine. But when you respond to emotion with fact, the first thing your teenager is going to think is, you don't really understand me. You don't really get me at all. So I say to parents, starting now, you must always respond to emotion with emotion and fact with fact. Emotion not meaning intensity, but emotion meaning empathy and understanding. And when you do that, it opens them to the facts. It opens them to the truth. But initially, you need to connect with them on an emotional basis. So when a teenager sits down with me at camp and begins to open up and share this heartache and pain, the first thing out of my mouth is, man, I'm so sorry. That must hurt so much. That must be so tough. That would be so frustrating because I want them to think to themselves, wow, this guy understands me. This guy is seeing things from my perspective And then that gives me favor and the ability then later on to speak the truth into them. Yes, yes. And I I just love what you're saying here, uh, Greg, because I'm I'm soaking it in as a not just as a pastor, but as a a father with, as I said, I've got a a 16 year old daughter and a 12 year old son. And that cognitive emotional thing is so true, because I I think men in particular that tend to be fixers. Yeah. Well, let me. Well, let me solve your problem. Um, you need to do A, B, and C. Yeah. And don't do X, Y, and Z. Um, and and I, what I find particularly with my daughter is it's incredibly frustrating. Um, I think husbands learn this too. And then, I, you know, I'm inclined to get frustrated because, well, I just gave you the answer. Uh, and I, But I think what you're saying, this is what we're talking about in our house all the time, is the listening and the empathy um, – it just carries so much more weight so that the times where I might really need to dispense some critical advice in a tough situation, there's already a, a, a greater listening ear present in my teenager because of that time that we've spent. And I just love, I think the, the quote you had Greg, was rules without relationship. And I can't remember how you finished it, but leads, uh, leads to rebellion, rebellion. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a great, paraphrase really of the Ephesians passage about provoking our kids to wrath, which you, you right. kind of answered ahead of time. I was going to ask you about that tonight. Um, I have been asked by so many parents, it, it's not been an issue in my own home. 
and I want you to tell me whatever you feel because I, I don't have a preset answer on this one. I, I think it is more of a heart issue. But so many parents have said, my son or daughter, it's usually son in this case, wants to get an earring, uh, wants to get a tattoo. Um, <laughs> any advice? I don't know if you've encountered that one yourself. I have been asked that sure. more than I – I almost wish I took a seminary class on that one subject. <laughs> um, and, I, of course, you know, seminary is great, pre- prepared me for some, some things, but the real life stuff, uh, not so much. And I'm just curious how you would counsel a parent in that situation. Sure. Here, here's, uh, I'll just tell you what I did with my children. I said to my children this, I don't really care that much what you look like on the outside. Mm-hmm. I don't really care that much about the clothes you wear and the hair, how you grow it, or whether you want this earring or whether you want this tattoo or that. That's That's not my biggest concern. My biggest concern is that you be a man, that you be a woman who loves the Lord, your God, with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You do that, and you commit your life to Jesus Christ, and you follow him. I don't really care how you look on the outside. Now, two things that does. Number one, I find that the Holy Spirit does a far better job speaking to them than I ever could about how they look on the outside Mm -hmm. and the dress and the hair and all of that stuff. And secondly, it gives me an opportunity then to intervene with my children and say to them, look, I said to you, I don't care how you look on the outside as long as you're loving Jesus. It does not seem to me in these situations that you have exhibited a love for Jesus Christ, that concerns me. So it concerns me about how you're looking on the outside and how you're trying to fit into this crowd and how you're merely going with the flow rather than taking some stands for the cause of Christ. And it allowed my children some freedoms of choice, but it also challenged them to go deeper in their love and their walk with Jesus Christ. And with my kids, uh, it worked out great. Wow. that Thank you, Greg. Uh, Greg, those are terrific uh, answers, and I'm not surprised at all. You, you very much impressed me as a man that would rather work from the inside out than the outside in. And I, that, is, that resonates with me in terms of giving general counsel to parents. You know, I, I've said... I've seen parents stress over which college their kids will go to. And, and that has a place, obviously. And, you know, I, I tend to tell parents that I know one thing I know, I know Jesus is going to be just as much at James Madison University or University of Maryland or Virginia Tech. Um, the most important question is, where is your kid's heart? Um, and I've often, you know, and that's helped me to tell my own kids that, that, you know, I, yeah, I mean, we have hopes for all of them and their skill sets and, intellect, uh, creative talents, athletic abilities. You know, we hope that they'll cultivate all of those to God's glory. But I'd rather all my kids, none of my kids go to college ever and get the, you know, elusive degree, uh, but love Jesus than if they all graduated, you know, summa cum laude from Yale and uh, had no relationship with him. And I... Wow, yeah. I just love your And that is... Yeah, and that is such a good word because I say to parents, and this does not endear me to parents, but I say (laughs) to them, school is important. It's not what's most important. And in the United States of America today, we have made education our God. That's the answer to everything. Hey, our kids... uh, Killing themselves, well, let's just educate them. Hey, our kids doing drugs, let's just educate them. Hey, our kids uh, involved in violent crime, well, let's just educate them. And I'm here to say that's not the answer. And how do I know that? Because we graduate from our high schools and universities, men and women who are intellectual giants and moral midgets. What is most important is what you said, Pastor, it's character, it's integrity, it's Christian commitment. That's what's most important. And as parents, sometimes we've got this so messed up. We are so focused on getting A's 
getting good grades, doing well on tests than we are on our teenagers' character and what's going on inside of their lives. And I say, parents, here's a heads up. Straight A's does not equal spiritual or emotional maturity. And some of you as parents have said, oh, as long as my kid gets straight A's, they can do whatever they want. And I want to tell you, there are straight A students who are making a lot of bad lifestyle choices. Yeah. 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 Um, Greg, we want to delve a little bit since we, we have a little bit of time here because you don't just deal with uh, teenagers, uh, but you do the marriage conferences. And so I want to um, take some time and, and talk about um, husbands and wives and the relationships that parents have. And even maybe um, as a, you know, throw this kind of impromptu transition in there. How does, you know, a a marriage affect the children and, and their love of Christ? So your dealings with, you know, husbands and wives and how that affects um, children. Wow. Yeah, that is huge. That, that parents, whether you realize it or not, you are the greatest influencing factor on your child other than the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So you are having a huge impact on them for good or for bad. And students that are coming out of homes where mom and dad love each other and love them, uh, have better self-images, do better in coping with life, are able to stand against peer pressure, are able to develop and mature more as men and women. Um, So the family has a huge impact on children today. And that's why divorce is a a child killer. Uh, I've heard parents say to me, oh, kids are resilient. They'll be fine. I'm like, that is such baloney. Kids get hammered by divorce. That throws them. Dysfunctional homes are hammering them. Homes where mom and dad are in constant conflict, it's having a negative effect on them. So, yeah, a healthy marriage is crucial. And uh, married couples, do you know the four big areas that cause the biggest conflict in marriages, they are finances, communication, resolving conflict, and sexual intimacy. Those are the four areas that tend to creep up and cause us problems as married couples. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, Greg, a quick, quick anecdote about that. I talked to a couple several years ago. Um, this, I don't believe was a believing couple. Uh, but they shared with me one time that they were getting married. They had gone to, I think it was called an Encounters Weekend. I think it's a Catholic sort of, uh, you know, weekend pre-marriage preparation mm-hmm. thing. And they did a, a personality-type profile to talk about common ground. And uh, I, I almost fell out of my chair because they, they thought I'd be very excited about this. And, of course, I tried to find a delicate way to respond <laughs> truthfully without making them feel, um, you know, like I was running them out of the room. But the, um, uh, the wife-to-be said to me, oh, Greg, it was incredible. Uh, I'll call this guy uh, George. She said, George and I did this weekend, and we did the, uh, the sort of profiles in compatibility. And she goes, the only things that we disagreed on were, it was interesting, it was money, religion, and children. But Gee, we, but, wow. But, but she said, we both really <laughs> love hiking and outdoor activities. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I said, well, it, in my mind, I think it's a good thing you like hiking because yeah. you're going to hike away. Yeah, you, you're going to hike away from each other pretty quickly. But it, it was I never heard it so blatantly illustrated how there are some couples. Now, this in this case, as I said, I do think is a non-believing couple, but believing couples too that go into a marriage with such a Pollyanna uh, naive view. And I know pastors that want to prepare couples to get married, we don't want to kill their joy because they're in love and the feelings are just, you know, you know, exploding like fireworks, you know, every day. But I, I tell a couple when I sit down in my office, okay, we're going we're gonna to work together over the next several months. 
and uh, there are going to be times where you might be a little bit depressed, and <laughs> and, and that's okay because it I, is okay. They have to know that. I always say, Greg, I you're thinking of the wedding day, uh, and the guy tends to be thinking of the wedding night. And I said, but I'm not thinking of either. I'm thinking of where you are, 18 and a half years, 25 years. Uh, beyond the wedding day, which is the thing that really matters, this track record of faithfulness before God. So that's what's my, what my concern is. I say we're going to talk about the wedding, but I never talk about the wedding uh, really until the next to last session. You know, uh, I'll get the most basic information, and I'm just uh, curious to hear some of your uh, your thoughts on that, Greg, when you when you can talk to a couple before marriage. Oh, yeah. I, I so... Um... I so agree with you that we send couples in some cases totally unprepared for marriage, that that premarital counseling needs to be a reality check. It yeah. needs to be talking about issues that are important that are going to impact you as a couple. And let's deal with these issues now. So I think it is so good that you take them through that counseling. And that's what we do in the weekend to remember. You know, it, we really take them through um, a th the threats to your marriage and then really what is God's plan for marriage and giving them a vision and some direction and tools so that they can begin to deal with sexual intimacy, communication, conflict, all of those areas that they're going to struggle in in the future. Yes. Yeah. No, that's that's great. And I I can testify. I, I think I was telling you before uh, we went on tonight, Greg, that I've not been to a weekend to uh, remember weekend, but I, I know several people that have, yeah. and it's been very, very, uh, just a powerful catalyst in, in their lives. I mean, couples that have been married 25 years in some cases that say, wow, we wish we had known this 25 yeah. years earlier <laughs> yeah, because nobody told them. Yeah. Um, and, right. And like you said, if they didn't have it modeled for them by parents that were talking about these things openly, they're, they're just not, I always tell couples, you're not going to drift into good patterns. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we never drift into good patterns of anything. We, 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 the, the, the best things in life come through discipline, come through hard work and preparation. Any professional athlete will tell us that mm -hmm. any actor on a stage Absolutely. will tell us that. And why we think we could go into the greatest adventure of life in marriage and just drift into good things. Uh, we learn quickly that that's, that's not the case. And, and how many years, Greg, have you been married? You told us before, I just wanted to remember uh bonnie and i've been married for 36 years wow yeah. wow congrats that's thank you that is really really neat um, now let me let me just ask you something um a little a little bit here greg about um marriage particularly um the sexual aspect because pornography is just bombarding society um so what advice do you give to couples um in that area sexually yeah, I say to them, uh, number one, uh, let's get some uh, guards on your computer. You know, let's go to CovenantEyes.com. Yeah. Let's go to Triple mm -hmm. X Church. Let's go to some of these places and get some guards on the computer. Uh, get some guards on your iPhone. Get some guards on your iPad so that it's not readily available. Secondly, all of us need accountability partners and more than accountability partners, but people that we will choose to be vulnerable with because you can be in an accountability relationship and you can choose to lie and that will do you no good at all. So this needs to be an accountability relationship where there is vulnerability and you're going to be open and honest in talking about your battles. This is man to man and woman to woman. So there needs to be people in your life that are sharpening you. As iron sharpens iron, so one of us sharpens the other, and you need that. You need somebody that's going to ask you the hard questions. Um, I have an accountability partner, Bob McRae. He and I just met together today. And I know Bob will ask me hard questions. Mm -hmm. I'll know he'll say to me, have you gone anywhere you shouldn't go on the computer? Have you looked at anything on TV that you shouldn't? Da, 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 da. He'll go through this stuff with me. 
And there have been times where I've been on the road, I've been tired, and I've been tempted to go someplace I shouldn't go. And it's like the Holy Spirit just taps me on the shoulder and says, what are you going to say to Bob? What are you going to say to him when you get together? And it has saved me. It has saved me from making some really bad choices. And then thirdly, just to be surrendered to the Holy Spirit. I say, look, each morning, try this. And this will be hard to do because the enemy will not want you to remember this. But each morning while you're brushing your teeth, look in the mirror and ask yourself this question. Who's going to be in charge of my life today? Am I going to be in charge of my life or is the Holy Spirit going to be in charge of my life? And then at that moment, you choose the Holy Spirit and you just say, Holy Spirit, I gladly surrender to you. I give you my heart, my mind, my emotions, my will. You take control. I will gladly follow you. And then you say, Lord, when it comes to pornography, lust of the flesh, God, my desire is that I will honor you. Will you give me strength now in these areas? And that's exactly what God will do. Yeah, no, that's that's great. And obviously you've counseled men. I can tell you this isn't just yeah. a textbook. I, I, <laughs> even some of the things you said, I, I can tell you this has been born out of uh, trench work. And I, um, I would say that I, I'm very concerned, uh, even with uh, modern culture, the way pornography is portrayed, um, it's almost just funny. You know, and, and I even hear that people just talk about it like it's harmless, it's funny. I actually saw my wife, who's a very reserved woman, really reach out to a former neighbor of ours who, uh, again, it was a couple that we got pretty close to, uh, not a believing couple. And um, the guy was, was a party kind of guy. And one day, uh, my wife was on the deck. Uh, we were in a townhome. The, uh, the other wife, our neighbor, was, uh, was on her deck. And she was sharing a story uh, about how her husband uh, had um, been to a, some kind of a strip club. And she said to my wife, Lisa, she said, you know, and I say, that's fine. You know, he can look as long as he doesn't touch. And Lisa, this is not her style. She really felt a genuine prompting said to her, you know, again, I'll call her Sarah. She said, um, oh, you know, she, she wanted to walk a line. She did not want to trash this woman's husband, but she wanted to reach out and touch her heart a bit. And she said to her, she said, Sarah, no, though, it, it, it's okay that you're hurt if he looks. Yeah. And she teared up. Um, and it was as if my wife gave her the freedom, because uh, I think women are under enormous pressure today to well, accept they are. that it's 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 not a big deal, you know. Grow up, be sophisticated. You're being immature for letting this upset you, and I think my wife just giving her that little tap that no, I, I think she said that that I that would upset me. Yeah. Um, it, it was amazing to me how this woman opened up as a result of that little word, and I I'm very concerned that there are women, uh, maybe in marriages to younger guys. I even see this in Christian circles sometimes that think it's just kind of funny. It's no real big deal. Uh, that almost have the you-can-look-but-can't-touch mentality, uh, the devastating emotional effects that has on a woman. Yeah. Absolutely. And how does a woman compete with those images? Yes. How, how does a woman's yeah. body compete with those images that her husband is being exposed to? That is so unfair, and it causes tremendous insecurities in the marriage. And the husband wants to know, why isn't my wife freer with her body? Well, I'll tell you one reason is because you are stuck in pornography and she's wondering how she's measuring up to those images and you have brought in a boatload of trouble into your marriage. Yeah. It's just, uh, it, it is just such a terrible source of evil today. And it isn't funny. It isn't cute at all. Yeah. No, thank you, Greg. That is a strong word. And you're right. The the pixels, many of which are manipulated. Uh, you know, I, yeah. I, I think yeah. that's even the sinister thing that even they, they say, even these supermodel women that starve themselves to keep this profile, even these women tend to be 
you know, brushed up right. in, in pixel editors and yeah. that sort of thing. So it's a totally a lot of CGI picture. and oh, other yeah. things going on that yeah. you know just again that completely unrealistic expo- expectation um, in a relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Greg, we're actually um, running uh, running out of time here. Um, I did want to ask you real quick just to touch on because you touched on accountability partners. Um, and so just um, for for everyone out there, why is it so critical that as a guy, I get another guy to be my accountability partner? Why can't I just go to my wife and talk to her and, you know, just be open and honest with her and, you know, bring these things out with her? Because nobody understands a man like another man, Mm -hmm. and nobody understands a woman like another woman. And you can snow a woman, but it's really hard for you to snow a guy because he understands the way you think and he understands the way you respond. And I want to say that a great accountability partners are senior citizens. They are great because, number one, they have the wisdom and the spiritual depth and the emotional maturity that time has given them. And number two, they have time to invest in you and spend time with you. So uh, I just think that's important because we understand each other better than a male to a female or a female to a male. And if we have a second, there is one more thing I wanted to bring up and share. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Please. All right. I find that um, today among teenagers, an issue they're dealing with is the occult. Mm. They are struggling in the whole area of demonic. And look today at how many programs on TV that feed this. You've got Ghost Hunters, you've got Ghost Adventure, you've got Destination Truth, you've got Haunted Highway, you've got all these programs that play into the supernatural, and teens are drawn to this. And I want to say parents, and and I don't want to get weird here, and I don't want to say there's a demon behind every bush, (laughs) but I want to say that our teenagers are targets and the enemy will seek to hammer them. And it's important as parents that we stand in the gap on behalf of our teenagers, that we warfare pray for them. And here's a way you would do that. Look at negative characteristics in your child, areas in which they're struggling with or not doing well, and pray against those, not like it's something but like it's somebody Mm -hmm. pray against it. Like there is somebody named pornography that's attacking your child. Mm. There's somebody named profanity attacking your child. There's somebody named rebellion attacking your child. There's somebody named lying attacking your child and just rebuke them in the name of Jesus Christ, command them to silence, forbid them from touching your child And just see if you begin to see some changes. Just see if you begin to see some attitude adjustments and things getting a little better. Because I believe our young people are hit hard in this area. Mm -hmm. And then parents, I would like you to ask your child, do you struggle at all with nightmares? Mm. And when I ask this question at a youth conference, I'm telling you, uh, probably a majority of the hands go up that say that they are struggling with nightmares. And I say to teenagers, if you are struggling with nightmares, I want you to take these three steps and you will have no more nightmares, zero nightmares. So parents, take your kids through this. Number one, open your Bible and read out loud Psalm 4.8 and Proverbs 3.24. Psalm 4.8, Proverbs 3.24. And you claim those verses for your child. Those verses apply to them. Mm -hmm. Then secondly, you pray out loud 
and you surrender your mind, your dreams to the Holy Spirit. And then step three, you pray out loud and you rebuke the enemy in Jesus' name and you forbid them from having any part in the dreams, in the sleep, being anywhere in the room, bothering your children at all. And you take those steps and there are no more nightmares. I have teenagers contacting me all the time saying, for the past 10 years, I've had nightmares every night. And I took those three steps, I prayed, and now there are no more nightmares. And that's because the enemy has targeted them. The enemy is seeking to discourage them. And parents, we just need to kind of wake up to that reality. Yeah. Uh, uh, thank you, Greg. And just to read, I mean, uh, you mentioned two passages, and I, I had just enough time to turn to one, just because I'm sure some people say, oh, what is that? Psalm 4.8, in peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Um, yeah, I, I had to think, say, Psalm 4.8 was a beautiful, <laughs> beautiful verse. And the other one? Proverbs 324. We'll let yeah. we'll let our listeners look That's out. Right. That's right. That's right. Including me. Thank you, Greg. <laughs> Greg, thank you so much for joining us. This has been um, such a great experience. We've yes. loved having you on. Um, if you have some time down the road, we'd love to invite you back. Um, yes. Just because it's it's been so great talking with you and getting your um, uh, your professional advice on on teenagers and and what's going on in their lives and how as parents. Um, we can have an impact in their lives and developing that relationship with them. So thank you so much for that. You are welcome. Thank you for having me. And if I can encourage any parents, if they would want to write me with questions, uh, my email address is Greg, G-R-E-G-O, the letter O, spec, S-P-E-C-K, all lowercase, Greg O. Speck, at gmail.com and I will get back to you and encourage you if I can. Great. Great. Thank you. Thank you so much. So we're going to go ahead. We're going to sign off now. Um, Greg, Greg, we just rocked the Casper from Rockford, Illinois. Ladies and gentlemen, you just heard from Greg Speck. um, And we talked a little bit about the two books that he's written. We'd like to send you out uh, a copy of those. The first two people to email us at these go to 11 the number 15 at gmail.com will receive a copy of those books. If you want to give them to your teenagers or go over them with your teenagers, we just want to send those out to you. So please email us. These go to 11, the number 15 at gmail.com. Don't forget to include your name and address. We've had some issues in the past where people have said, yes, I'd love your books or I'd love to get a copy of the books that you're offering, uh, but have not Uh, told us their address or even which book they want. Remember, he wrote two of them, uh, Sex It's Worth Waiting For, and then Living for Jesus When the Spiritual High is Over. So please email us. These go to 11, the number 15 at gmail.com, and then also include your name, address, and then which book you would like to receive. These go to 11.